This is Chapter 14 of Roughing It. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Roughing It by Mark Twain. Chapter 14 Mr. Street was very busy with his telegraphic matters, and considering that he had eight or nine hundred miles of rugged, snowy, uninhabited mountains and waterless, treeless, melancholy deserts to traverse with his wire, it was natural and needful that he should be as busy as possible. He could not go comfortably along and cut his poles by the roadside either, but they had to be hauled by ox-teams across those exhausting deserts and it was two days' journey from water to water, in one or two of them. Mr. Street's contract was a vast work, every way one looked at it. And yet, to comprehend what the vague words, eight hundred miles of rugged mountains and dismal deserts, mean, one must go over the ground in person. Pen and ink descriptions cannot convey the dreary reality to the reader. And after all, Mr. S.'s mightiest difficulty turned out to be one which he had never taken into account at all. Unto Mormons he had sublet the hardest and heaviest half of his great undertaking, and all of a sudden they concluded that they were going to make little or nothing, and so they tranquilly threw their poles overboard in mountain or desert, just as it happened when they took the notion, and drove home and went about their customary business. They were under written contract to Mr. Street, but they did not care anything for that. They said they would admire to see a Gentile force a Mormon to fulfill a losing contract in Utah, and they made themselves very merry over the matter. Street said, for it was he that told us these things, I was in dismay. I was under heavy bonds to complete my contract in a given time, and this disaster looked very much like ruin. It was an astounding thing. It was such a wholly unlooked-for difficulty that I was entirely nonplussed. I am a business man, have always been a business man, do not know anything but business, and so you can imagine how like being struck by lightning it was to find myself in a country where written contracts were worthless. That main security, that sheet-anchor and absolute necessity of business. My confidence left me. There was no use in making new contracts, that was plain. I talked with first one prominent citizen, and then another. They all sympathized with me, first-rate, but they did not know how to help me. But at last a Gentile said, Go to Brigham Young. These small fry cannot do you any good. I did not think much of the idea, for if the law could not help me, what could an individual do who had not even anything to do with either making the laws or executing them? He might be a very good patriarch of a church and preacher in its tabernacle, but something sterner than religion and moral suasion was needed to handle a hundred refractory half-civilized subcontractors. But what was a man to do? I thought if Mr. Young could not do anything else, he might probably be able to give me some advice and a valuable hint or two, and so I went straight to him and laid the whole case before him. He said very little, but he showed strong interest all the way through. He examined all the papers in detail and whenever there seemed anything like a hitch, either in the papers or my statement, he would go back and take up the thread and follow it patiently out to an intelligent and satisfactory result. Then he made a list of the contractor's names. Finally he said, Mr. Street, this is all perfectly plain. These contracts are strictly and legally drawn, and are duly signed and certified. 
These men manifestly entered into them with their eyes open. I see no fault or flaw anywhere. Then Mr. Young turned to a man waiting at the other end of the room and said, Take this list of names to so-and-so, and tell him to have these men here at such-and-such such an hour. They were there to the minute. So was I. Mr. Young asked them a number of questions, and their answers made my statement good. Then he said to them, You signed these contracts, and assumed these obligations of your own free will and accord? Yes. Then carry them out to the letter, if it makes paupers of you. Go. And they did go, too. They are strung across the deserts now, working like bees, and I never hear a word out of them. There is a batch of governors and judges and other officials here, shipped from Washington, and they maintain the semblance of a Republican form of government, but the petrified truth is that Utah is an absolute monarchy, and Brigham Young is king. Mr. Street was a fine man, and I believe his story. I knew him well during several years afterward in San Francisco. Our stay in Salt Lake City amounted to only two days, and therefore we had no time to make the customary inquisition into the workings of polygamy, and get up the usual statistics and deductions preparatory to calling the attention of the nation at large once more to the matter. I had the will to do it. With the gushing self-sufficiency of youth I was feverish to plunge in headlong and achieve a great reform here, until I saw the Mormon women. Then I was touched. My heart was wiser than my head. It warmed toward these poor ungainly and pathetically homely creatures, and as I turned to hide the generous moisture in my eyes, I said, No, the man that marries one of them has done an act of Christian charity which entitles him to the kindly applause of mankind, not their harsh censure, and the man that marries sixty of them has done a deed of open-handed generosity so sublime that the nations should stand uncovered in his presence and worship in silence. For a brief sketch of Mormon history and the noted Mountain Meadow Massacre, see Appendices A and B. End of chapter 14